Hey there, Cosmic Kitty Cats. Welcome back to another episode of The Spiritual Gaze. I'm one of your hosts, Brandon. I'm your other host, Angel. And this is our twice-monthly podcast dedicated to exploring the wide reaches of spirituality without pretending that it all makes sense. What if I tried to do the whole show up in my falsetto? Uh, I think it would be... Like a sing-songy falsetto. It would be so annoying. What if I did it all in a whisper? Like an ASMR version of our podcast. Yes. Hi, everybody. Welcome. Welcome to the the Spiritual spiritual Gaze. (laughs) Inner healer. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> exactly. Inner healer. Inner healer. Uh, hi, I'm Angel Lopez. I am a writer and a film producer and an astrologer and teacher of all things metaphysics. I'm Brandon Alter, Angel's partner, husband. Sometimes I feel okay about the word husband. Sometimes I don't. It's one of those weird, you know, I'm a non-binary queer spirit healer. So sometimes husband feels like so male oriented. You know what I mean? But I mean, I think. There's no better word. I don't like partner. Partner's like not, partner's not sexy. You know what I mean? So like you're left with like husband or, or wife, you know? I definitely don't want to be your wife. You could be my lover. That's true. You're, you're <laughs> uh, federally recognized lover. <laughs> yeah, that's real sexy. Yeah, totally. <laughs> it's like a Lady Gaga song. I'm your federally recognized lover. Totally. <laughs> Anyhoodle, I'm a healer and uh, an intuitive. I work with astrology and tarot, but mostly compassionate helping spirits. And I am happy to be here with y'all. Yay. Shall we check in? Yeah, let's check in. All right. Do you want to go first? Sure. Well, tell me what's going on. How's your heart? How is my heart today? That's a good question. You know, my heart's a little sad today. (laughs) All right. Well, that's okay. Yeah, it's a little sad. I think I've just been like doing a lot of deeper body work and deeper emotional work in my therapy over these last couple weeks. It was also the three-year anniversary of my dad's death this past week. So I felt like there was just like a lot bubbling to the surface and I've talked a lot on here I think about like my relationship with my body and uh, just like learning to get more comfortable and learning to be more patient and loving with my body and so I think all of the you know I've been doing all this physical therapy from this accident I had last year and I feel like we've been like delving even more deeply into it and just like recognizing how deeply tied up my emotions and my body are obviously like <laughs> they all are but it's like when you're like digging more deeply right it's like you're releasing some of the pent up stored emotional stuff and i think i've just been unleashing some of that so it's like got me feeling much more emotional than usual so yeah i think that's just where I'm at right now I just like feel really bad for the version of me who lived through like so much self-loathing you know like there was like a version of me who just experienced so much self-loathing and depression and sadness and anger um, and a lot of it's tied up into my queerness you know that 
just being born into a an existence where I was immediately told and shown that like being gay is bad which then I just like equated with my body as soon as my I started to like relate my body to being gay um and like the politics of desire in the gay community exactly that like yeah by the age of like 12 13 I was just like oh this body is so bad and I think I've just been like trying so hard to like really recognize like how I've let that message then create different things in my life so it was like unconsciously creating issues with my weight or my health and now trying to unpack the root of that you know it's like literally just like digging digging deep to like get to that fucking root so I can just like pull it out so it's like a lot of fun like really good times over here you know (laughs) when you're experiencing that when all those things are kind of like swirling in and around you the wisdom of the ancestors is that all that stuff is coming up so that it can go you know it's not coming up so that it can like stay and continue to fuck up your life it's like if you have a drawer that you have to reorganize you have to take everything out of the drawer first and then you're like why is all of this shit in the middle of my living room but it's not gonna live there forever i hope you know and then you 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 put it back in and you get rid of stuff so it's like you're just you're in transit right yeah and it's okay to like be discombobulated and sad in transit. Yeah. Yeah. It's like when you're at the end of a sickness, you know, and you're just like just pulling congestion out of your body. <laughs> like I feel a little bit like that maybe. So, um, so that's good to hear. So thank you for sharing that. Let's see. Yeah. I think sometimes we assume that if we're like not feeling good, it's cause like, we've done something wrong, but sometimes not feeling good is actually part of the healing process. For sure. You know, like healing does not always feel really good. Yeah. No, 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 it don't. But usually doesn't. Not, not at first, you know, (laughs) or, you know, it it hurts. Like you have to go through the hurt. Yeah. Before you get to the wholeness. Yeah. And I think sometimes you uh, think you've already been through the healing and the hurt and then you realize like, oh, like this wound is still... You know, it's not that you haven't been through it. It's just that healing is nonlinear. Our lives are nonlinear. Like as, as human beings in these bodies, we are forced to kind of adhere to a linear chronology. Like we only age in one direction. However, the way we experience life is not linear. You know, you're talking about experiencing things in the past that then trigger things in the future. And it is a spiral. It's not a straight line. Yeah. So I think it's just continued compassion and tenderness for ourselves you know you're never gonna like be fully healed that's not the goal you know the goal is just to like continue to gain more and more access and feel more and more free and that's a continual process definitely i mean i'm reminded of that just like in my own grief that like grief is a form of healing that's the way i look at it and it too is like non-linear and I've actually been like very hard on myself of late. Is it okay that I'm sliding into my check-in now? Oh yeah, please. Are you complete? Yes. Okay. I've just been like, you know, it's like a year, a little over a year and a half since my mom died. We're getting close to the one year anniversary of Noche's passing. And I kind of just feel like I should be further along than I am. 
and I'm, and I'm being really hard on myself that I still like have bad days or bad weeks or I feel lost or sad. And then I have to remember that that really is not a lot of time at all. And that also this is a nonlinear realm in which I'm now living. So it actually took my new therapist. Shout outs to my new therapist. Uh, I've decided to stop white knuckling my grief and take care of myself all by myself and to start getting some help. So I have a new therapist, getting back into acupuncture. I reached out to my teacher for a healing, which was pretty amazing, actually, um, even though I like do this work. And I've been doing a lot of um, a lot of spirit healing for the people that have been getting readings with me. The spirits told me that for everybody that got a year ahead tarot spread to offer them a power animal retrieval at the end of every reading. So I've been I've been doing that. And the thing that usually happens with a successful power animal retrieval is that that animal will appear in that person's life, you know, anywhere from like two to five days afterwards. And some of the like incredible occurrences that my clients have been sharing with me about like how these animals have been showing themselves. It's like my mind has been blown by this work so many times that like my mind is no longer blown. I'm just kind of like, yeah, well, of course, but it's still just like, wow, you know, it's just, mm -hmm. but this is all to say that I am outsourcing my healing which is good you can't do that all the time but i've been i've been in-house for a very long time and so now i'm getting my healing delivered and it's helping <laughs> good yeah i know i'm proud of you i'm proud that you've been like reaching out and finding new forms of healing for yourself i just kind of hit like a grief rock bottom where i just realized that the things i was doing to just like get me from one day to the next were just not sustainable and they were actually like losing their luster. Yeah. So it's time to, you know, it's nonlinear. It's time to like take a, it's like a spiral staircase, you know, and it's like time to go the next rung down. So speaking of healing, we just want to remind y'all that we are hosting our first in-person, well, we're not actually hosting it. Wendy, who is this amazing intuitive and healer uh, who lives in Los Angeles, she will be hosting us as the facilitators for a half-day retreat. Hey. It's a five-hour workshop, uh, and it's all about freeing your inner healer because everyone's a healer, and the truth is how you learn to heal yourself is the style of healing that you bring to the world, and everyone has these gifts, and if you've lived in the world for the last couple of years, you know we need all the healers that we can get. And the reality is, like, not everyone needs to, like, heal other clients. No! Like, you really just need to be the healer for yourself. Right. But also be able to like bring that energy out into the world, no matter totally. what it is that you do. Yes. You know? Mm -hmm. And chances are, if you're listening to this podcast, you already are a healer in some capacity, you know, and you're the person that everybody comes to at work and all your friends ask for advice or people are just like, your presence is so comforting. And you're like, yeah, because I'm more healed than you are, bitch. And so that's what we want to encourage people to dive into. Yeah, because you might find that you are that person, but then you end up depleted or you end up you know, feeling all of their emotional stuff that you're carrying around. You're like, why am I dragging around? And it's like, oh, because I have not washed myself of all of these other people's baggage. And, you know, the goal is to also help you really strengthen your inner healer so that you can still show up for others, but show up for yourself even more. Yeah, first and foremost. So we'll be using astrology. We'll be working with Chiron. 
We'll be using animism, working with power animals, and all other sorts of fun modalities that will help you free your inner healer. And we get to do it in person. So if you're in the greater Los Angeles area, so that means you, San Diego, even you up in Northern California, if you want to come down, make a weekend out of it, registration is open and you can find that information on our website. And I'm just thinking out loud, if there's interest, maybe after we do this workshop in person, we could figure out a way to do it virtually for those of you that aren't able to come. But we've been doing so much virtually over the last couple of years that we're just feeling so excited to have the nourishment of same time, same place. Yeah, like the amount of like virtual circles that we have created and sat in with people, like the fact that we get to sit in like a real physical circle with people. You know, we've had a couple of retreats um, that we did in the past. Shout outs to our retreat folks. Um, but getting to sit in those circles with people and seeing also like the connections other people were making um, with each other. It was just like so rewarding. So um, you also get a chance to probably meet some like cool, interesting folks. Yes, definitely. So that's our pitch. Come to freeing inner healer. Inner healer. Inner healer. <laughs> and now let's head into this episode's cosmic update. Sorry, I really, I really felt it. Thought we'd never get here. <laughs> Shady. So we are coming at you from the midst of Aquarius season. The Aquarius new moon portal. Yeah, we're actually recording this in the Aquarius new moon portal. By the time you listen to it, that portal will have passed. But right now, just know <laughs> we're in it, which is also Lunar New Year. It is Lunar New Year. I didn't know, but Lunar New Year is always the Aquarius new moon. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and Aquarius new moons are ultimately, you know, an opportunities to set some intentions around your authenticity, your unique self, you know, how to innovate in your life. Play Break Free by Ariana Grande. And that's really all you need to know. Because <laughs> totally. the Aquarius new moon is how you're going to get free. But look, the Aquarius energy portal is not closed by the time you hear this. Hell to the no. Because we'll really be seeing more of it actually come through with Mars entering into Aquarius on February 12th. Oh, just in time for my birthday. Yes. Um, though Venus will miss your birthday because she shifts into Aquarius on the 16th. Oh, that little slit. She's so <laughs> close. I know in my solar return chart, she's literally at like 29 degrees and like 50 minutes of Capricorn. And I'm like, you couldn't have just slid into Aquarius, babe. Wow, you're really just going to be like showing up in all your relationships like a boss. Well, that sounds, I could get into that. As long as you're not bossing me around. Honey, when am I not <laughs> bossing you around? That's true. <laughs> um, but yeah, so there's all of that Aquarian energy already available. Not to mention that Aqua uh, that Mercury's already uh, shifted into Aquarius. So you ha will have Mercury, Venus, and Mars all moving together. Not to mention Big Papa Pluto. Yes. Greeting them all at the gate. 
So hopefully you listened to our big Pluto in Aquarius episode. And if you didn't, then did. you should just just pause and just go back <laughs> because honestly, you need it. Trust us, you do. Yeah, we'll give you a real, I think, strong sense of how this Pluto in Aquarius, or just how this Aquarius energy can show up in our lives. And I think having both Mars and Venus pop through that Pluto portal as well, you know, so really when they shift into Aquarius, the, you know, basically Pluto is the one opening the door to the Aquarius house and like, welcome, you're here now. Caroline or change? Oh my gosh, no, not Caroline or change. The Rocky Horror <laughs> Picture Show. Oh, uh-huh. He's totally riffraff. Totally. Like at it the door that. and he's like, come on in, you yep. know? Yeah, yeah. Let's do the time warp again. Honey, we'll never stop doing it. <laughs> but that is such a great um, image for uh, this Aquarius season um, because it really is kind of welcoming you into this like strange new land. Um, and I think that Aquarius is a sign of like new friends, you know, new connections so there is like an opportunity with this, especially with Venus moving through Aquarius to really connect to some new people, uh, but also I think on some level get a real clear sense of who your community is now, you know, and get a, get a firmer understanding of like, oh, this is my new community. This is my new circle. You know, you may find that when you think about like, oh, who are my circle of friends? Who are my people? There's like an old idea of them, you know, and that's not to say that they are all going away, but I think it's like, oh, right, there are these people, but now there are also these people. So you'll find probably like opportunities to bring some sort of various groups in your life together and see them sort of merge. And, you know, so it gives you an opportunity to be like, oh, right, this is the world I live in now, relationship wise. That's why I wanted to have a birthday party for my birthday. Mm-hmm. Because I just wanted all of my, all of my, I have, I always want that though, as an Aquarius. I just like always want all of my people to like be hanging out with each other, you know? Yeah. I don't like to compartmentalize my friend groups, so. So everyone's, everyone's got to come over and get along. <laughs> yes. Um. So I think another interesting just date to bookmark for yourself is February 21st. Oh yeah. What yeah. about that? Because that's when we see Venus and Mars conjunct. Ooh, child. In Aquarius. At what degree? They're going to be conjunct at six degrees. Got it. Yeah. So within shouting distance of Pluto still. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, they'll both have like just had their meetups with Pluto and then they're like coming together and they're like, girl, did you hear what Pluto said? Like, this is what's happening now. Like, oh, right. You have to do that in order to make this transformation happen. Oh, and you have to do that. So in a way, it's like a good opportunity for our Mars motivation to work hand in hand with our relationship uh, style, you know? Maybe a good opportunity to connect with people, to um, utilize connections in your life, to help with some of the things you're trying to take action on. 
Is that the last day of Aquarius season, or are we already into the Pisces soup? Uh, yeah, we're already in Pisces soup. Got it. Yeah, because Pisces starts February 18th. Oh, wow. She early this year. Mm-hmm. So, um, so, yeah, we're, you know, I think what we're seeing right now, and we'll, we, we will be seeing for the next few months, is the sun shifting into a sign while Mercury, Venus, and Mars are all in the sign before it. Got it. So Aquarius season is going to feel somewhat extended because they're all still, all those kids are still playing in Aquarius. Thank God, because honestly, <laughs> I haven't had enough Aquarius season this season. Yeah, we'll then see Pisces, or we'll then see Mercury shift into Pisces on the 22nd. So then Mercury will start to speak Pisces language. So we'll start to get a little more Piscean then. But yeah, the rest of this month is like a good balance, you know, in the doorway between the two signs. You know, I learned from uh, Christina Funkhauser, actually, who was on our podcast last episode, that uh, in Vedic astrology, if you have Mars and Venus conjunct in your chart, it's thought to be a placement that bestows great charisma on the native. And so I find that when Mars and Venus are conjunct, it's actually an opportunity for everyone to explore like how they can use their charisma in the world. So it's definitely not a day to like stay hidden in your house. It's a day to like get out there and into the world because Mars is action and Venus is other people. So it's like, okay, how are we taking action with other people, for other people, by other people, in spite of other people? You know, get out there and strut it. Yes. House down boots, honey. <laughs> it's the middle of the week, so you should have some opportunity or make some opportunity. Yeah, get out there. Get out there. <laughs> Girl, get off <laughs> your couch yourself. and get out there. <laughs> um, I feel like I'm talking to myself, telling myself that. Oh, I'm definitely talking to you. <laughs> I like my couch. It's comfortable. It's cold out. But by then, I will step out. Onto the town. Yeah, girl. By myself. No, wait, where am I? <laughs> I'm going to walk into a crowded room of people and be like, look at me, everyone. I mean, I, I would love to see that happen. Shine your light on me. Uh, you're shining your light. Phones up. Flashlights on. On me. Whoa, okay. Are we at a Madonna concert now? Well, no, we're at an angel concert. Oh, well, well. Touched by an angel. We all should be. Hands off, everybody. <laughs> This one. And if you come to our workshop. Nope, this one's spoken for. <laughs> How dare you? Literally right in front of my face. Try to proposition all these gazers. You're just trying to, like, I took your lead with this whole charm school thing. I'm just putting myself through charm school. This is the end of our cosmic update. And now <laughs> we are going to transition into a brand new series, y'all. Yeah, this is very exciting. So we felt really good. <laughs> about our Astrology Untucked series last year where we went through all 12 houses and we were meditating on what sort of series could we do this year. And so we're going to do a series on the court cards of the tarot, but we're not going to do it in the way that you might think. We're not going to do 16 different episodes where we do one court card at a time. What we're actually going to do is something that we're calling Tarot Untucked Power Couples. So what we did is we, <laughs> why are you laughing at me? I just didn't know the, I didn't uh, remember the power couples. Yeah, element. power couples, tarot untucked power couples, eight installments. So here is what we did. We took all 16 court cards and we shuffled them. And then we asked how they wanted to be introduced 
in this series. So not just the court card that they wanted to be paired with, but also the order in which they would show up. So every other episode, we're going to do two court cards, and we're going to talk about the court cards individually, but also look at how they might relate to each other to help us deepen our understanding of them. Because in my experience, most people really struggle with the court cards. Do you struggle with the court cards? Uh, sometimes, yeah. Well, not anymore. Thank goodness. Because, you know, that's like what we're here to do. We're here to educate. So in the same way that people struggle with the houses, and hopefully you now feel a little bit more wherewithal around that, by the end of this year, hopefully you feel like the court cards are your friends and you can really work with them. So without any further exposition, let's head into this episode's Deep Deep Dive. Dive. So the two cards that we are going to be engaging with today are an unlikely but power couple nonetheless. Mm -hmm. The Page of Swords and the Queen of Cups. And I actually think that they really can help each other. But before we talk about how they might relate to each other, what sort of conversation they might have, let's just break them down one at a time. And I think we should start with the Page of Swords. Okay. So the pages, as they're traditionally called in the tarot, also can sometimes go by other names depending on what decks you use. So I know in the Wild Unknown, they're called Daughters. In the Toth deck, they're called Princesses. I have a deck, uh, the Dang Olsen Dream Tarot, where they're called Goofs, which I think is really (laughs) fun. Mm -hmm. And I think that really connects to this idea that the pages are the most open. Mm. They are not crystallized. And You know, page is a hard word because we don't really have pages in contemporary society. But a page in medieval times was somebody, usually a a child, somewhere between the ages of 7 and 14, who were going to become a knight. And so they were basically the assistant to the knight, and they were learning. They were being initiated into the rest of their life. I think it's a little reductive to call pages, like, naive or like that they don't know anything, because the truth is, is all of the court cards express mastery. You've been ace through ten. I think rather pages have a lot of knowledge. They are learning how to integrate that knowledge. Yeah, I almost feel like they're innocent to the knowledge. You know, it's not naive, but they have like this almost childlike innocence to it. You know, it's like similar to how we would categorize like the zero degrees of a of a sign, you know, that you're like coming in like an infant to the energy, but you completely embody it. You know, it's like, it's like curious and exciting. Totally. And I think because you're not so conditioned to a predetermined understanding of, in this case, the suit of swords, you are able to be found by the world of that suit more easily. You're open which is actually where amazing things can happen. In some ways, the pages have a bit of a fool-like energy to them. Oh, yeah. Because the fool doesn't know fear, doesn't have any assumptions about the world, just meets the world fully through that encounter. Yeah, it's a presence. Yeah, totally. That's a really, 
really good word for the pages. Mm -hmm. They have tremendous presence for whatever the invitation of the suit is. Yeah. So the other way that we kind of like to work with the court cards, too, is understanding the elements that might inform who they are. And so for us, we like to think that the pages carry with them the earth element. And the reason for that is because they are grounded. They are physical and tangible. They're moving out into the world. And so the earth element is that which helps us put things into practice. Mm -hmm. So the page of swords is earth and then air, the air of the swords. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why, like, when you were talking about the earth of it all, that for some reason, I was like, they're kind of like an employee of of the energy. Oh, my gosh. That's actually really interesting, too. <laughs> yeah, they are in right? some ways. Because even if you think of, like, the relationship of a page, yeah. you know? Yeah. Like, like, I was like, oh, they're the ones who had to wake up, like, two hours early to, like, set up the, whatever, the jousting or to clean the fucking stables, honey. Yeah, to clean the stables. Like, they are just, like, the first point, uh, you know, yeah. of, of contact to the experience. They're and there, there to is get a, shit done. Yeah, there's a purity there, right? Like, yeah. you think about waking up early in the morning, and it's just you and the horses. And, like, there's, like, a purity of encountering the, the element. Mm -hmm. So, swords, as we know, are mental. It's the stories we tell ourselves. It's information. In some ways, it's our relationship with other people and how our relationships with other people inform our relationships with ourselves. So, you know, we've been doing the tarot for a long time, and I wrote tarot scopes for 100,000 years, and I actually just wanted to read what I think is kind of one of the best uh, summaries of the Page of Swords. If we ever publish a tarot book, this will be what's in there. And I should say before I read this that when we're working with a court card, it's always you. When you pull a court card, it's a mirror saying like this aspect of yourself wants to be embraced. So the page of swords is you when you figure out that your authenticity is the only hill you're willing to die on and you fight for it relentlessly. This is pure gives no fucks energy. Expressed in a way that has teeth and claws, but also sweet kisses for those who are willing to stand alongside you. People misunderstand the pages. They think they are naive and beginners, but that is not true. They are innocent, sure, but that innocence isn't lack of experience or learning. Rather, it is the ability to be found by the world, the ability to let yourself be seen. The Page of Swords is brave enough to expose who they really are, while they are still exploring it. When you are brave enough to simultaneously discover yourself while also putting yourself on display, you are the Page of Swords. So that interesting dynamic tension between not fully knowing who you are, but knowing enough of who you are to be out in the world discovering it and claiming yourself. What we see in the Pamela Coleman Smith tarot is the page standing on this open field with their sword raised high. And that sword is the ace of swords, which we know is like the one clear story for your life. It's, it's the identity that you know is true. And they are kind of gathering their energy and also maybe other people who are willing to fight alongside them for what they believe in. 
But because they're a page, you know, they're not the king who's seated and regal. They're still exploring. And the thing about identity, which is one of the main themes of sorts, because identity is how we think about ourselves, is it keeps evolving. So I just love that this card is so confident in who they are, but not fixed in who they are. Mm -hmm. Continuing to be brave enough to say like, you know, I, I know I don't like this, but I don't quite know what I do like yet. Yeah. Or um, revealing yourself, even if what you're revealing is your vulnerability. Yeah, I, I like to think of it almost, you know, if we're looking at swords as mentalities, right? Like swords are representative of different mentalities that we have. Totes. It feels like the page is paying attention to all the mentalities, mm -hmm. the thoughts, you know, the ideas that are swirling around and the ideas of who they, th you know, who they, they think they are. But they, it's almost like they're getting like a present understanding of it. Like, oh, that's what we think? Mm -hmm. Oh, that? You know, they're not necessarily like waging war on them as much as they're just like being receptive to the mental energy that's at play at the moment. Yeah. You're learning yourself again. Yeah. And you're actively engaged in that learning. And you're not judging it so much as you're just meeting it for what it is. And then, you know, discerning from there. Mm -hmm. There's something very free about the Page of Swords, too. The way they hold that sword like it weighs nothing, you know? Mm -hmm. And when this card shows up, and the reason why I think of it is like the gives no fucks card, is because it's a comfort with yourself that isn't dependent on anything. Like, like our identities can be so fixed and as soon as we lose the job or the partner or the house or the lifestyle, we wonder, who am I, right? And the Page of Swords knows that who they are is actually something deeper and that they can claim these different aspects of themselves, these different thoughts, these different ideas. Mm -hmm. And yet those are, they're not fixed, right? Like we claim them for a time and they right. keep moving. But... There is something about the way that air and earth interact with each other, right? Which is that the earth grounds the air. And the air lifts up the earth. They're very disparate, you know? They're, they're kind of the two elements that are furthest from each other. They don't share a common language. Mm -hmm. And yet, they need each other. Because when earth and air come together, what we're learning is how to bring an idea into form. And that's really what the Page of Swords is doing. How do I bring the idea of myself into form? Even if I wake up tomorrow and I have another idea. Yeah. So this feels like a really great partner to help the Queen of Cups. Because the Queen of Cups is a totally different energy, but they both have some things in common. So queens in the tarot, they are also known as mothers, devotees, trying to think uh in the rachel pollock shining tribe tarot she has some unusual say what you can just look it up yeah. so i just pulled out uh rachel pollock's book that's all about her shining tribe tarot because i had forgotten and 
um, inside the book was this little note card that she had sent us because after Aww. the after the podcast we sent her a little thank you gift and um and I just want to take a moment and just acknowledge her spirit and the gift of her life and all of the teachings and in the same way that I always kind of reach out to the spirit of Pamela Coleman Smith to be with us when we do any sort of tarot work I I want to bring Rachel because she is just as deserving to be in that pantheon. So I just just want to take that moment to kind of inform our conversation here. And the names that she gave to the court cards, I think, are are really instructive. So, um, so the pages she called place, mm. place of, and she oh. gave different names to the suits too. You know, instead of instead of swords, they're called birds. So it's the place of birds, <laughs> which I think is really beautiful to kind of meditate on. But also, if you think about the page of swords and how they're standing in that open field, it is it is a place. You are a place where all of these thoughts come together and these different thoughts, like different birds and different identities. Land in different formations. Bingo. But the queens she calls gifts. Gifts. And so... Obviously, stepping outside of gender, because who knows what that is. But, you know, kings and queens had different roles in a more medieval society. And the kings were more public and the queens were more private. So when we're working with a queen energy, it's more internal. It's how we're holding that power, the suit suggests, within ourselves. But I do think it's interesting that Rachel calls it a gift, and I wonder if it's like a gift you give to yourself first and then having given it to yourself, it's just a presence that kind of goes with you wherever, wherever you are. Because when we teach the tarot, we say the queens, they hold court. That's what mm -hmm. a queen does. Yeah. And the kings, they pour forth, you know, they go out into the kingdom. They're the figurehead, so to speak. But uh, Rachel calls cups rivers. So the queen of cups would be the gift of rivers. Hmm which I also think speaks so much to what this what this energy is. So the Queen of Cups is quite a card to start our series off because she is very mysterious and she is all water because we think of the queens as being the water element of the court and then obviously cups is water as well. So she's the only card in the in the tarot that's double water. It's no air no earth, no fire. It's all emotion and intuition and feeling. And she's the only card I've ever lost. <laughs> oh, right. I remember that. I lost the Queen of Cups. From the Wild Unknown. From the Wild Unknown. Ended up using that deck to give those cards out as gifts to people as I felt they needed a card. Bought another deck only to find a year or two later that she had somehow ended up in another deck entirely. Still don't know how. Yeah. She's mysterious. She's slippery. <laughs> but she is our willingness to go into the deep, profound depths of our soul. Yeah, it's a mystery, right? Like the mystery of our emotional selves. So in my preparation for this episode, I found one Pisces season tarot scopes where I wrote poems instead of 
you know, regular tarot scopes. Uh And I felt like, well, that feels very Queen of Cups. Because the thing about the Queen of Cups is she doesn't have words. There's no air there. So even a poem is a little more swordsy than the Queen of Cups would care for. She would be song, really. But I'm going to share this poem that is the Queen of Cups. Transformation doesn't happen where you can see it. It happens on the ocean floor. Miles beneath the waves, the sailors, and the siren songs, you wait. You wait holding your breath. You wait holding yourself back, holding to the ground beneath the ground, lest you swim to the surface too soon, unfinished, half-transformed. We rarely get to know the final step until we reach it. All we can do is surrender to our strange metamorphosis. Trust the wisdom of the deep. Trust the strange sea of your heart. You are becoming something wild and beautiful and free. Nice. And so she is us when we surrender to those deep, unknowable transformations. When we allow the mystery of our being to just completely take us over. Yeah. And so somebody would say to you, how are you doing? And if you're the Queen of Cups, you would just... You would just kind of float on through. <laughs> you would say, girl, I don't know. And it's okay. And it's okay. But it's also incredibly intuitive and psychic. And so even though there might not be the articulation of what your transformation is, there is prophecy. There is a feeling about what is true and what isn't true. She has a lot in common with the high priestess. Yeah. Yeah. It feels like a meeting of the emotional and the metaphysical. Yeah. You know, a queen of cups. Because she, like the high priestess, has the ability to see like through the veil, you know, of a situation. So to me, like that's the role she plays in an emotional situation. Yeah. So it's like when you're queen of cupsing, you are not engaging in the fight you're just holding space for it and seeing all of the aspects of it yeah and following it and following it yeah just like letting the undertow take you wherever it may yeah when the queen of cups presents herself to you it suggests a time for silence and stillness and going into the invisible and yet as Angel said, there is the tangible element as well. When you look at the card, the earth and the sea around her throne kind of blend into her. So mm-hmm. she is she is part of everything. There's yeah. an understanding that we do need certain containers in which to lose ourselves more fully. And so you might not be able to be the Queen of Cups 24-7 or else you get washed away. But giving yourself some really good time to engage with those with those practices and to learn how to feel really comfortable in that energy right i love this idea of devotee the way that um dang olson has called the queens these devotees like they're devoted to the energy in the same way that like you talked about the pages as kind of being like servants to the energy there's this like deeper level of of service you know and to this Mm -hmm. case to to water to emotions and also to relationships which is what the cups can suggest as well yeah when there's something in like the confidence of a queen where 
she recognizes that in relationship, we can sometimes become like a reflection of the other person. So we sometimes reflect our emotions. Yeah. You know, it's like a projection thing. Totally. And she's able to see that and acknowledge it and recognize it and not subscribe to that. Totally. Who do you think is like a really good queen of cups in the world? Brene Brown. Oh, really? Yeah. That's interesting. Okay. I mean, she's all about like vulnerability. She's, yeah. No, I think. But she's not, I mean, she's a heady person. Yeah. But she's not like, you know, she has a real emotional component to her. You're right. That gives that to me. Yeah. I'm thinking of that interview we heard her do with uh, Krista Tippett on being. Yeah. And sometimes you can listen to like the long unedited conversations. And there was a moment where she was telling a story and like they got interrupted and disconnected and they had to come back. And she started to tell the same story, but she did it in a completely different way. And Mm. you were like, oh, this person is not following a script. Yeah. They're present. They are fully like in it. Yes. And I was very impressed with that. That's like one person. Okay, I'll that take you. I'll mind. take you a Brene Brown, and I'll raise you yeah, a Bjork. Oh, someone who just like really. Uh, I mean, first off, I think Queen of Cups is so musical and so creative. Yes, I agree with that. And Bjork is really someone who is like so confident in her like strange inner world, mm-hmm. and continues to kind of like flow and follow it. You know? Yeah. Anyone else come to mind? Well, I'm even now kind of thinking of that Tracy Chapman performance mm. that was on the Grammys. So Queen of Cups. And I felt like she was very Queen of Cups because she was just kind of holding this emotional space for everyone. It was almost like yeah. everyone was kind of like projecting all of their emotion onto her, you know? Yeah, I almost feel like that was more King of Cups. Yeah, <laughs> It was very King of Cups. You're right. Yeah. All right, well, we'll bring we'll get back. there. Yeah, we'll bring Tracy back as the king. Any anyone you can think of as a page of swords? Sonia Morgan. Oh my goddess. <laughs> That's a very funny reference. <laughs> From the Real Housewives of New York Legacy Edition. Yeah. I can see Sonia Morgan being a page of swords. She definitely like owns herself completely, even when that means owning what a mess that she is. Yeah. I was thinking Greta Thunberg. Oh, yeah. I mean, A, because she is young, but also like kind of ferocious, willing to like acknowledge what she doesn't know, her own vulnerability or like awkwardness, yeah. but also like no less committed to the fight. Completely, yeah. So what's the conversation that Greta Thunberg and Brene Brown would have? Oh, I don't know. It'd be a great conversation. I thought you were going to say Bjork. I mean, we can go either way. Like, yeah, I don't no. even know if that would be, I mean, it would be a wild conversation. Yeah. Just like them on a road trip through the uh, roads of Iceland together. Well, wait, is Bjork Swedish? No, she's Icelandic. Icelandic, yeah. But they would definitely have some like shared geography. Yeah. Ish. Ish. Yeah. Some shared references. Yeah, totally. <laughs> well, what I think is so interesting about this pairing and, and I was like, okay, Taro, like, why are you putting these you know, these aspects of ourselves together is that the page really wants to understand. Whereas the queen of cups really just wants to experience. And so they're able to help each other. Yeah. And they both are 
on a process of transformation. The page is learning who they are day by day, and the queen kind of understands that transformation is a never-ending process. Deep, you know, on the depths of your own ocean floor, you are always undergoing some sort of incredible process of metamorphosis. Mm-hmm. And while the page kind of wants to like ground that into thought and figure out how to how to move it out into the world, the queen kind of supports and says like, well, but just be with it, you know? Maybe you don't have to give it a name. Yeah. Maybe it's okay to just let it be a feeling, a color, a melody. And that doesn't mean it, it has any less power just because you can't articulate exactly what it is. I imagine the Page of Swords like gets on a boat and like goes out to like the middle of the ocean, you know? Uh-huh. And what do you think? They like put on like a scuba suit, you know? Like I don't feel like the Queen of Cups is going to come to the page. I feel like the page has to go to the queen, right? Yeah. And then she's going to like rise up from the water and be like, "Hello." Oh, come so you with think me. you think ah, Lady of the Lake style. She like of she like course. winks at the page. Yeah. And so the page like dives into the water. Yeah. It's like you've come all this way. Let me show you what's really here. Okay. And so yeah. the page follows her down under the sea under the sea to the depths of the depths where mm-hmm. all those sea creatures are the ones that have their own lights and that are really flat and maybe even prehistoric right yeah exactly and she reveals a world beneath the world to the page mhm where she's collected all of the artifacts that she finds on the surface and has kept down there oh. and she says look at this stuff oh my god isn't it neat all of the amazing <laughs> sunglasses i've lost in the ocean uh, yeah honey the queen has got it on consignment my goddess uh, seriously selling all those sunglasses and jewels yeah there's a walrus wearing your sunglasses oh well I hope playing he, a playing I hope, a trumpet i hope he enjoys it <laughs> And definitely the Page of Swords is out of their out of their element deep in the ocean. But they're given a gift, which is patience and a different type of presence, as you talked about. Well, I think a greater like an awareness of something that they didn't know before yeah. about themselves. Totally. I was just thinking, you know, like a caterpillar does not get a picture of a butterfly and was like, this is where you're headed. They just have a strange goo that they become. And then they, you know, yeah. and so I think the page of swords really wants to kind of be able to glom on to like where they're, where they're headed. They want that picture. And the queen of cups says like, honey, there's no picture of what you're about to become. Yeah. Like you're working to become a knight, but you have no idea what that really means. It's a cool combination. Yeah, it is a great combination. I love it. I love this imagery of the two of them spending time together. Yeah, totally. And she's like a great therapist. Yeah. You know? She's like mother therapist. Yeah, she like, she unlocks something in the page so that the page can like feel more deeply than they're used to. Right. And she doesn't like present a lot of solutions or problem solving. She's just like, okay, we're just going to hold space for it. And that's that's part of how things move forwards. Yeah. 
And then the page gets back in that boat and gets back on that hill and picks up that sword and, and has a newfound power. Mm-hmm. The power to say, I don't know. Yeah, but maybe a heightened, a somewhat heightened sense of inner knowing. Totally. Well, if anyone ends up pulling these two cards together, you're welcome, but also please let us know. And so this is the this is the series for the year as we continue to explore how these court cards can illuminate each other. Yeah, and then we send them on a date. All right, and now it's time um, for our last piece of tarot business. Will you do it? The tarot card of the episode. So I'm going to let Angel do all the card work today because I just got my nails done and I really don't want to fuck them up. So listen in, Angel shuffling the cards, just connecting to the cards by hearing that, that Russell shuffling that Angel's doing over there. Just trusting this message will resonate no matter the future place or time to which you listen to this episode. Just asking for one card, one message, one piece of strong medicine to help us move forwards. It is, well, it's the Eon in my deck, but it's the Judgment card. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. What an interesting collaborator with everything we've been talking about. Yeah. It's kind of like the tarot felt like we were a little incomplete in what we were saying about the process of transformation with the page and the queen. <laughs> because judgment is transformation achieved. Judgment yeah. sits beneath death. So in death is the invitation to real change. And in some levels, at least for the queen of cups, the change is ongoing. But that's not sustainable, right? Like you can't be the queen of cups all the time. That's what we were saying. At some point you have to recognize when you have changed, when the transformation is over. You are now a butterfly. You have wings. You can't go back into the ground eating the things that you used to eat as a caterpillar. So judgment showing up to kind of say to us like, hey, girl, you're different. The best way I ever teach the judgment card is that it's Dorothy. When she comes back to Kansas after having been through Oz, she's been through the ringer. She's been rode hard and put away wet. And she can't just go back to her regular life in Kansas because she's seen the world behind the world or a world outside of the world. And that's you too. You can't make yourself blind once you've seen. So just start to pay attention to how you're different because there's also something very seductive about this like always reaching thing. Like I always need to be learning more. I always need to be like healing more. I always need to be like reaching for the next thing. It's almost like a spiritual consumerism, right? Like the way we're told that we always need to buy more things has kind of infiltrated self-help, spirituality, psychology. And on one hand, like, yes, like, you know, as I talked about at the beginning of the show, like these things are nonlinear. They never end. And yet it's also important to understand when something is over, when you have made a step or else you're not able to like absorb and integrate that and you can't move on to the next one. Yeah. And I think a lesson of this is to always remember too, that there's something karmic here. You know, this card connects me to like past lives. And that we are also on some level, like not just completing some sort of cycle that's existed in this life, but it's something that is from 
it's like our soul's lifetime. So if you are having trouble saying goodbye to something or ending something, try to remove yourself from the experience of it just in this lifetime. And remember that this is a journey for your soul that you're on and that your soul is saying, no, we're done here. It's time to move forward. So also remembering that you're on to the next chapter. Yeah. And it's it's good for you at a soul level. If you never stop eating the entree, you never get to dessert. <laughs> True. So the plate is clear, honey. The meal is done. Yeah. It's time for the next course. Mm-hmm. And we hope your next course is with us. <laughs> yes. Invite us to dinner. Uh, we yeah. make great companions. Uh, well, thank you all so much for listening. We're so grateful. As always, you can find out everything about us at thespiritualgaze.com or uh, on the social media platforms. Yes, we're coming back to social media. We took a break because we needed it. Okay? Yeah, we really needed it. We needed it. As you know, social media is exhausting. But we're trying to find a more sustainable way to engage because it's also nice to be able to connect with you people on there. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, the workshop that we talked about, the Wheel of the Year is going to open up for registration soon. Yeah, we've been loving the Wheel of the Year. The Thank Wheel of the you. Year is fire, y'all. Yeah, thanks to everyone who is like participating in it. Yeah. Like you all are so present and in it. Like we are so grateful. It's so fun. It's it's pushing me. It's got me doing things too. I'm like, I'm in the wheel with you all. Yeah, well, that's the thing about a circle. Everybody's in it. Nobody's higher or lower than the other. Exactly. But yeah, the dreaming season has really been a dream. Mm-hmm. But what's the next season? The deepening season. Oh, Lord. Well, perfect for the Queen of Cups. Let's do it. Until next time, this has been your transit through the spiritual game.